Hello and welcome to the Heirs to Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Micaela, your host. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Heirs to Slytherin. In today's episode, I'm going to be discussing chapter 17 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, The Heir of Slytherin. So this whole book has been really fun for me because my podcast is called The Heir of Slytherin. And in this book, The Chamber of Secrets, that's where the Heir of Slytherin is mentioned, like throughout pretty much the whole book, you know? So this is exciting for me to be able to continue with this chapter that's called The Heir of Slytherin. It is a little bit upsetting because the Chamber of Secrets is almost done. This is the second to last chapter. And then after the last chapter, I'm going to do the compare and contrast episode with the book and the movie. And then I'm extremely excited because we're getting into Prisoner of Azkaban. It's one of my absolute favorites, book and movie. And not that I don't, like I love all the books and movies and I love Chamber of Secrets. And especially after doing this podcast and rereading this book for, I don't know, however many times I've read it so many times and doing the notes and everything, I found a new appreciation for it. I've always loved it, but something shifted this year. Like the newfound appreciation, I love it even more than I knew I could. So I'm sad that it's almost done, but excited because these are some insane, these last two chapters, especially this one, some really cool stuff. Really cool, especially because it's called the Air Slytherin. My podcast is the Air Slytherin. So very, 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 very excited to continue getting into it. So before I do the recap of last week's episode, just a brief summary of the previous chapter, which was chapter 16, I want to remind everybody that the email for this podcast is the Air Slytherin podcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me voice messages and donations through the anchor link. Twitter is at Slytherin Pod. Facebook page is the Heirs of Slytherin Podcast. And this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts. So yeah, let's get into the summary from last episode. So last week's episode, I discussed chapter 16 of the Chamber of Secrets. And that chapter was called the Chamber of Secrets. So that was fun because... You know, kind of same situation here. Air of Slytherin, Air of Slytherin. I'm reviewing Chamber of Secrets right now. And this the chapter was called Chamber of Secrets. So pretty fun. In this Chamber of Secrets chapter of Chamber of Secrets, Harry and Ron really want to go visit Moaning Myrtle because they figured out that she was the one who was probably killed by whatever monster was in the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. But with all the new rules and the tight security and everything... It's really hard to sneak away long enough to go to the bathroom, much less the girls' bathroom. And, you know, they're even escorted to the bathroom by teachers. So it's just, this is hard to do, to go and sneak away to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. And when they finally get the chance and they're able to, they end up getting caught by McGonagall and they, Harry quickly says, oh, we were going to go visit Hermione. And so, of course, she loves that. And she's like, yes, go visit her. I'll tell, tell Madame Pomfrey you have my permission. And they go and they just kind of sit with Hermione while she's there, petrified, of course. And Harry notices that in Hermione's right hand, it's scrunched up pretty tightly. Her fist, it's like clenched. And she has a piece of paper in there. So he manages to get it out carefully without ripping it. And on that paper, that's what Hermione went to go run to the library for the last time Harry and Ron saw her before she was petrified. It has almost all the answers that they need. 
it it explains that um, the basilisk is the king of the serpents and it's feared by spiders and the cry of a rooster is fatal to those who hear it. So this explains a lot that Slytherin's monster is indeed a basilisk. It speaks parcel tongue, snake language. Only Harry can hear and understand it. Big clue right there. And all of Hagrid's roosters were killed. Cry of the rooster is fatal to those who he to the basilisk who hears it. And that was explained. That was on the sheet of paper that she tore off from the book. And also that spiders sleep before it. Aragog said that they don't even mention the name of the monster of that creature because it's their spiders fear it so much. So those are just really big clues and questions answered. And brilliant Hermione figured it all out. She also figured out that. She wrote pipes on the paper. So she figured out that the snake, the basilisk, was traveling throughout the castle through the pipes. So Harry and Ron are about to go tell McGonagall about this information that they found out. And then they learn that the monster has taken a student into the chamber. And that is Ron's sister, Jenny. Very devastating for the Weasleys and for Harry. And they find out, like, all the heads of houses tell their houses, the students in their houses, that Hogwarts is closed. So they need to pack up and everyone's leaving tomorrow. Really devastating for everybody, especially for Harry. Not only does he have to go back to the Jersleys, but he also, like, his friend, like, Jenny is missing, right? His friend's sister. Very, very devastating. So Ron decides, let's just go tell Lockhart what we know because Lockhart, you know, he's been boasting all year about knowing where the entrance to the chamber is and knowing how to defeat the creature inside it. He's been boasting about that all year. So the teachers tell him, you know what? You can go deal with it. Like, this is your time to shine. You want a free reign? Here it is. So Ron's like, let's go tell Lockhart what we know. And they tell him what, like, they're about to tell him, but they see that he's packing up. And he reveals that he's a fraud. He takes credit for what other wizards have done. He does memory charms in order to um, make them forget, right? And he's about to do one on Harry and Ron. Doesn't work out. And Ron and Harry make him go to the chamber with them. And that's where they speak with Moaning Myrtle. And she tells them that she died in this in the bathroom. Like, that's where she died. And it's because a boy was speaking a funny language. It was parcel tongue. And she... she came out of the stall and saw a great big pair of yellow eyes and that was the basilisk and if you look into the basilisk eyes that's how you die that was another thing written on that um piece of paper from that library book that Hermione handed in her hand and it also explains that the reflection makes like the reflection is what petrifies you and everyone had a reflection Hermione and Penelope Clearwater they had the mirror Mrs. Norris had the water Justin had nearly headless Nick and Colin had the camera so that was another thing that I didn't mention earlier that gave them clues, you know, thanks to Hermione. So on the sink, there's a little coppery snake and Harry opens the chamber by speaking parcel mouth. The three of them, Lockhart, Harry and Ron go down the tunnel um, and they, it's like a big long slide pretty much going like miles beneath the school. Then they get, they walk through the chamber a little bit and they see a giant snake skin, like 20 feet long. And Lockhart, you know, he seemingly collapses at the side of it. He gets up, kind of tackles Ron, grabs his wand, and then he tells the boys to say goodbye to their memories. And the wand, it backfires because Ron's wand is messed up. Remember, it's been broken all year because of the Whomping Willow. So it causes, like, I guess a rock slide, and there's a tunnel of, like, or, like, a big wall of rocks in a tunnel because of it. Like, all fell from the ceiling. So now Ron and Lockhart are on one side, and Harry's on the other. Harry tells him to kind of shift the rocks and he's going to try to go get Jenny. Hopefully she's still alive. And 
he goes and gets to this wall where there's two snakes, like engraved in the wall with emerald eyes. He again uses parcel tongue to tell it to open and it does. And Harry is terrified. And that's where the chapter ends. That was kind of a long summary, but there were some really important points that I wanted to just touch on really quick. So, well, quick in a longish way, I guess. Either way, that was the summary of chapter 16 of Chamber of Secrets, title Chamber of Secrets. And now we get to get into chapter 17 of the Chamber of Secrets, The Heir of Slytherin. Harry keeps walking after he gets through that wall of the snakes and he gets to the like end of a long dimly lit chamber. So he's like in that like chamber chamber now. And I wanted to describe what it looks like. It, towering stone pillars entwined with more carved serpents rose to support a ceiling lost in darkness, casting long, dark, black shadows through the odd greenish gloom that filled the place. Harry is like really scared during this time. He's moving carefully, slowly, keeping his eyes narrow just in case the basilisk kind of slithers out of nowhere all of a sudden because, you know, that's going to kill you. He has to keep his eyes narrowed. He can't look it at, at look it in the eyes, right? So he's kind of like, he pulls his wand out. He's looking, he's moving carefully, kind of wondering where Jenny is. And what, more than once, he thinks he sees something moving. Like, I would be terrified too. This is scary, especially come up against a big basilisk and even just looking at it in the eye is going to kill you. Like, it's, it's intense. This is a scary moment right now. Harry keeps walking and he gets to like a last, the last pair of pillars there. And there's a statue that's as high as the chamber itself. Harry has to crane his neck in order to look up at the statue. And it's described like the giant face above, described as ancient and monkeyish with a long thin beard that fell almost to the bottom of the wizard's sweeping stone robes. And towards at the bottom of the statue, like at the smooth chamber floor, there's a small black robed figure with flaming red hair. Of course, this is Jenny. She's unconscious. Harry runs to her. He flings his wand aside. Not the best move, but you know, it, it happened already. Harry did it because he's just concerned about Jenny right now. And he keeps saying like, Jenny, please wake up. Please don't be dead. Her face is as white as marble and she's really cold and her eyes are closed. So she's not petrified. So Harry's kind of like, what, like, please wake up. And then a soft voice calls from behind him. She won't wake. Harry turns around and he sees a tall black haired boy leaning against the nearest pillar. And there's no mistaking him. He looks like Tom. He's Tom Riddle. That's who Harry saw in the memory. But also he's kind of blurred around like the edges of his body. It's like looking at him through a misted window. So something weird is going on there. And Harry asks him like, what do you mean she's not awake? And Riddle says that she's still alive, but only just. So Harry keeps looking at him because this was a Tom Riddle, a boy that was at Hogwarts 50 years ago with this weird misty light around him. And yet he doesn't look a day older than 16. He looks the same as Harry, as when Harry saw him in that memory through the diary. And Harry asks if he's a ghost. Riddle says that he's a memory preserved in the diary for 50 years. And that diary, he points to the diary and it's on the floor by the statue. And just for a second, Harry wonders how it got there. Remember, it was stolen from his dormitory after he had taken it from the Moaning Mortals bathroom. It was found, he found it there, brought it back, you know, looked through it or whatever, went in it to see the memory that Riddle showed him. And then it got stolen from his dormitory and now it's in the chamber. And he wonders for a second, like how it got there. 
but there's more pressing matters to deal with. So he kind of like, he picks Jenny's head up, tries to half raise her. He's like, we've got to get her out of here. You have to help me, Tom. There's a basilisk. I don't know where it is, but it could be here at any moment. And Harry, he's like sweating. He manages to hoist Jenny like halfway off the floor and goes to pick up his wand again. And this whole time Riddle hasn't moved. And as Harry goes to pick up his wand, it's not there. And he looks up, Riddle's watching him, and he has Harry's wand in his hand. And so Harry's like, oh, thanks, and reaches his hand out for it. But Riddle doesn't move to hand the wand to Harry. So, you know, this is some weird stuff. Riddle's just kind of sitting there, smiling, twirling Harry's wand. And Harry's telling him, like, we have to go. Like, come on. Like, we need to leave. If the basilisk comes, but Riddle cuts him off. And he tells him that the basilisk won't come unless it's called or until it's called because it's inevitable he's going to call it. And so Harry's kind of like, what do you mean? Like, give me my wand. I might need it. And Riddle tells him that he's not going to need the wand and that he's been waiting a long time for the chance to speak with Harry Potter. And Harry isn't really, he's not sure what's going on. He's confused. He just wants to get Jenny out of there. And he tells Ron, like, we can talk later. We're in a chamber of secrets. Like, I don't think you understand. And Riddle tells him, you know, we're gonna talk right now. And he puts Harry's wand in the pocket. Harry just kind of stares at him and he's realizing that there's something isn't right. Something funny is going on here. So, He's going to start to explain. Riddle's going to explain things to Harry. Because Harry asks, like, how did Jenny get like this then? He asks slowly. He's definitely suspicious now. And Riddle says that it's an interesting question and a bit of a long story. And he says that the real reason Jenny's like this is because she opened her heart and spilled all her secrets to an invisible stranger. And he says that it's through the diary, Tom Riddle's diary, like my diary, because Tom Riddle's explaining this to Harry. And he says that Jenny's been writing in it for months and months, telling him about how her brothers tease her, how she had to come to school with secondhand robes and books, and how she didn't think that the famous, good, great Harry Potter would ever like her. This is just typical 11-year-old girl writing about her problems in a diary, right? So... This one thing was a little bit confusing for me when I was younger. When The first time I read this book, I was six or seven. And I remember I was kind of confused. Um, and also like watching a movie too. I didn't really understand it until I was probably like maybe 11, honestly. 11 or 12, I didn't really understand this. So this Tom Riddle is not yet Voldemort. The reason that this Tom Riddle, remember he still is a 16-year-old self preserved as a memory in the diary he hasn't become Voldemort just just yet so this is Jenny writing about you know I don't think that ever the Harry Potter would ever like me he's so he's so famous and cool and great and whatever but he's friends with my brother whatever she writes and Tom Riddle you know the memory of him in this diary writes back to her asking like, oh, who is Harry? Can you tell me? And Jenny here is the one who writes it all down for Tom. Like, you know, it's, it's, she's a witch. This is a magical world. This diary being magic, it doesn't really, it's not necessarily, maybe there was like red flags going on in her mind, but Tom Riddle, the diary felt like a friend to her. So she was explaining things to him. And because it's a magical world, you know, writing inside a diary that writes back to you isn't necessarily, it's creepy, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't seem like the most dangerous thing like it does later on for Jenny. But I, initially, like, you know, it's 
it's a magic world. It's a magic book. It doesn't necessarily seem so alarming yet. So she's the one, Jenny is the one who tells this Tom Riddle all about um, Harry and how he defeated Voldemort and how he, um, all this stuff when he was a baby, everything, right? And then Tom Riddle realizes that, yeah, I did do it. I became Voldemort, right? Because this is just a 16-year-old self. It's on his 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old self that learns everything that his future self does, right? So that's how Riddle realizes that he does become Voldemort and everything. And so he keeps, as he's explaining all this to Harry, he never even, like, his eyes don't leave Harry's face. And there's an almost hungry look about them. And he says that it was really boring listening to the silly troubles of an 11-year-old girl, but he was patient and wrote back and he was sympathetic and that Jenny just loved him. And she wrote that he, no one's ever understood me like you, Tom. I'm so glad that I've got this diary so I can confide in my friend like you, my little friend that I can carry around in my pocket in the diary and everything. So, and he laughs like a laugh that Harry, it makes Harry's, the hairs on his neck stand up. So it's, this is creepy. Like some, this is scary stuff going on right now. And Riddle says to Harry, I've always been able to charm the people I needed. That's so important because this Tom Riddle is someone who, just like he says, he's been able to charm the people he needed. He was very handsome. He was very smart, cunning, ambitious. He was a Slytherin, you know, not that being handsome is a quality of Slytherins, but it just happened to be that Tom Riddle was very handsome. So that definitely helped him when he needed it, right? He was able to use that to his advantage. He was very shrewd. That is what Slytherins are. They're able to use what they, their assets to their advantage and everything. So, you know, this is, this happens more than once. This happens here with Jenny. This also happens later on when he graduates and wants to get, um, Helga Hufflepuff's cup. Hepzibah Smith is a descendant of, Huffle of Hufflepuff and she has the cup. He's able to charm her in order to like get the cup, right? He's able to charm his way into Rowena Ravenclaw's, not her mind, but he asks her where the diadem is and, he, and she tells him she was, he was so charming, he was able to get that answer out of her. This happens with so, so, so many things, especially with the Horcruxes, you know? And he used it to his advantage. He, advantage. he used it when he was in Hogwarts, when he graduated Hogwarts. And then when he became Voldemort, he didn't really need to use that charm anymore. He didn't need it. It was fear that he was now using. And after he looks like Voldemort, he's not very charming, really probably only to Bellatrix, but he used his assets to his advantage. He knew what he had to do to get what he wanted. And he succeeded in that. And one of these examples was with Jenny and he was able to charm her to get what he needed. So um, Jenny pulled out her soul, her, her soul to him. He grew stronger and stronger knowing her deepest fears and her darkest secrets. And he grew more powerful than Jenny, powerful enough to start feeding Jenny a few of his own secrets to start feeding a little bit of his soul into her. That is how Jenny opened the Chamber of Secrets. And that's what he tells Harry. Like, haven't you guessed yet? Jenny Weasley opened the Chamber of Secrets because he was able to feed part of his soul into her. And she, she's the one who strangled those, the school roosters. And she wrote those threatening messages on the walls. 
She set the serpent of Slytherin, which is the basilisk, on the four mudbloods and the squib's cat. That was Mrs. Norris, Filch's cat. This was all because, you know, part of Voldemort was feeding into her. Like, that was the way she was able to do it, the possession, the manipulation. And Harry's like, no, that can't be. And Riddle's like, of course she didn't know what she was doing at first. And it was amusing. And her diary entry started to get more interesting. And she was saying, like, dear Tom, I think I'm losing my memory. There's rooster feathers all over my robes. I don't know how they got there. I don't remember the night of Halloween, but a cat was attacked and I've got paint on me. And Percy keeps telling me that I'm pale and not myself. I think that he suspects me. There was another attack today and I don't remember where I was. I don't know what I was doing. I think I'm the one attacking everyone. I think I'm going mad. And this whole time Harry's hearing all of this, like he's getting angry. He, like that she was manipulated and possessed like this. So it took a really long time for Jenny to stop trusting the diary. But then when she did become suspicious of it, she tried to dispose of it. And that's where Harry came in. And Riddle says that he could not be more delighted because of all people who have, could have picked it up, the very person that he was most anxious to meet was Harry. And Harry is angry and he's confused. And this is where Riddle reveals that Jenny told him about Harry and his fascinating history with Voldemort and the scar on the forehead, everything like that, right? So Riddle's way of gaining Harry's trust was to show him that capture of Hagrid. And he says famous capture. That's what he got the award to the school, like special services to the school for. And Harry's, you know, like I'm, he's even angrier. Like Hagrid's my friend, my friend and you framed him, didn't you? And Harry's, like, Harry thought he made a mistake after he learned the truth from Aragorn. He just, he just thought that Tom Riddle made a mistake. And he tells Harry that it was my word against Hagrid's. Um, you can imagine how it looked to the headmaster, which was Armando Dippet. That's who the headmaster was in the memory. That Tom Riddle, he's brilliant. He's so brave, school prefect, model student. Oh, his word versus Hagrid. Big, blundering, in trouble every week, trying to <laughs> raise werewolf cubs under his bed. Like, that's really something that Hagrid did. Like, I, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I can, but like really Hagrid under your bed, werewolf cubs, um, sneaking off to the Forbidden Forest, you know? And Riddle admits that he was even a little bit surprised at how well the plan worked and that he thought that somebody might, must realize that Hagrid can't possibly be the heir of Slytherin. But, you know, his plan does work. And it takes Riddle five whole years to discover everything he can about the Chamber of Secrets and the secret entrance. And that's while he's Slytherin's heir, you know? But Hagrid, he, know, he said Hagrid didn't have the brains or the power. The only person that suspected him was the transfiguration teacher who was Dumbledore. He's the only one who, who thought that Hagrid was innocent. And he persuaded Dippet to keep Hagrid on as a gamekeeper. So, and Dumbledore, you know, uh, he tells Harry, as you might have guessed, he never seemed to trust Riddle as much as the other teachers did, and he never seemed to like him as much as other teachers did. So, you know, he was always suspicious from the beginning. And Riddle said that he kept a really close, annoyingly close watch on him after that, and he knew that it wouldn't be safe to open the chamber again while he was at school, but he wasn't going to waste those five long years of all that research and everything. So 
he decided that he was going to leave a diary behind to preserve his 16-year-old self in its pages so that one day, with luck, he'd be able to lead someone else in those footsteps to finish Salazar Slytherin's normal work. And, you know, it's pretty smart. Voldemort, Tom Riddle, he is smart. And he was a really good student, very clever, very brilliant, big ego, but he was clever and smart and brilliant. Like, you could say what you want about Voldemort, but you can't say that he wasn't a good wizard. He has his moments of, you know, like you could have thought this through more in regards to horcruxes and hiding and, you know. But also it's like only Dumbledore was the one to figure this out. Like, literally Dumbledore. So as brilliant as people might think Voldemort was, think about Dumbledore's brilliance and, you know, then we can talk. So very smart. This this was very smart of him to do, to preserve. And also like not only like a smart idea, like clever, but also like he, he was a good wizard in order to figure out how to preserve his 16-year-old self as memory in a diary, right? In its pages. So, you know, lots of brilliance here. But yeah, so that's why he did it, because he wanted to lead someone else to finish Salazar Slytherin's noble work, which was reading the School of Mudbloods. And Harry tells him, well, you know what? You haven't finished it because no one, no one's died this time. The cat didn't even die. And the mandrake draught is going to be ready again. And everyone who's petrified will be revived and everything's going to be fine. But Riddle tells him, and this reminds me, like, so I'm going to read this, like, two sentences here. Haven't I already told you, said Riddle quietly, that killing mudbloods doesn't matter to me anymore. For many months now, my new target has been you. And I just, the, this part in the movie is absolutely amazing. The actor who plays young Tom Riddle here and Daniel Radcliffe who plays Harry Potter, like they both do so well, but also like that 16 year old Tom Riddle, right? That actor, he he's so convinces me. Like he, just phenomenal acting there that like killing Mudbloods me doesn't matter anymore. It, it is so good, so well done. And you know, that's what he tells him. Killing Mudbloods doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, imagine how angry I was when I opened my diary and it was Jenny who was writing to me, not you. So Tom Riddle was very mad when he learned that Harry no longer had the diary. Jenny did. You know, she saw Harry with a diary and she panicked because she was scared that everyone was going to know her secrets and how she was the one behind all these attacks. Sort of. I mean, it was Voldemort, but Jenny did it. And based on everything, remember, Tom Riddle's getting all his information from Jenny. So based off of that information that she told him, Tom Riddle, in this diary, the memory of him, he learns that Harry would go to any lengths to solve the mystery, especially if one of his best friends was attacked. And best, you know, Hermione, one of his best friends, she's a muggle-born. It, it just fit too easy for Tom Riddle, right? So he particularly, you know, wanted Hermione to be petrified, to be attacked and everything. And Jenny also told Tom that the whole school was just buzzing with the rumors and everything because Harry could speak parcel tongue. The whole school found that out. So Tom Riddle made Jenny write her own farewell on the wall. And then she came down here in the chamber to wait. So, you know, of course, she's the one who wrote that farewell and the blood on the wall and then came down to the chamber. And, you know, Tom Riddle was annoyed because she was struggling and crying and everything. But the thing is, Jenny didn't have, she doesn't have much life left in her in this moment right now as well, because she's, she's pretty much dying. And she put so much into the diary. 
so much of her soul into Voldemort himself, like through this diary, that it was enough for his memory to leave the pages. That's why he's there standing in front of Harry. Not completely solid, but he's he's there, right? And so he's Tom's just been waiting for Harry to arrive since he got here. And Harry's getting annoyed and he's like, Tom tells him he has so many questions for Harry and Harry's like, like what? And Riddle wants to know. And I love, again, like this part in the movie is just so good. Like it, oh my gosh, that actor does amazing. And so he asks him, how is it that you, a skinny boy with no extraordinary magical talent, managed to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape with nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed. Then he tells him, or Harry tells him, like, why do you care how I escaped? Voldemort was after your time. And then he says the iconic, Voldemort is my past, present, and future. Again, amazing, beautifully done in the movie. Like, I'm telling you, I, this is so good in the movie. And, like, I really wish I was so young when I first read and saw like first read this book and first saw this movie that I honestly do not remember my reaction to learning this information. I would love to hear from any of my listeners if you guys remember your reactions at finding out that Tom Riddle was Voldemort, but it is, oh, it's so cool. And then of course, really cool in the movie too, where he writes Tom Arvillo Riddle with the wands in the air, and then he flips those letters around and it turns into I am Lord Voldemort. So, um, you know, that's a big reveal there. And Tom Riddle explains to Harry that this was already a name that he started to use at Hogwarts, only to his most intimate friends. Of course, they weren't really friends. They were followers, you know. Voldemort doesn't really have friends. Um, he has connections and he has power, but not genuine friend connections like his followers, you know, it's power. And so he says that he wasn't going to use his muggle father's name forever. Um, it's his mother's side that has Slytherin's blood. That's where they're descendants from. So he wasn't going to keep the name of a foul, filthy, common muggle that he describes um, that abandoned him before he was born just because he found out my mom was a witch. So he said, no, no, Harry, I fashioned myself a new name, a name I knew wizards everywhere would one day fear to speak when I became the greatest sorcerer in the world. Again, like... This part is just so good in the movie. That's what I'm like hearing and seeing as I was reading it, as I'm reading this paragraph right now to you guys, just that section of him saying that, like, it's so good. It's just so well done in the movie. I can't like emphasize that enough. Like, it's just so good. And I wanna give a little bit of background to that. So him revealing that his dad was a muggle and his mom was a witch and she's pure blood. His mom's side was pureblood. It's one of the oldest pureblood families because it's Zalazar Slytherin himself. Remember this whole book? It's been like the whole pureblood ideals and everything, right? So I'm not going to give like a huge, like detailed explanation of it because that's going to come later on in the series, but I do want to explain a little bit. So Tom Marvolo Riddle, who is Voldemort, his dad was also named Tom Riddle. Marvolo is Voldemort's like middle name, and that is the name of his maternal grandpa so that's Voldemort's mom's dad like the pure blood descendants right and their last name was Gaunt so Voldemort's mom's side of the family was pretty nasty like the same pure blood ideals like really mean people they would not his mom but his uncle Voldemort's uncle so his mom's brother their dad so Voldemort's grandpa 
they would probably be so happy at what Voldemort has done. And they would just love the evil wizard he turned into, I'm sure. Same with his huge descendant, Salazar Slytherin. Like, I'm sure they would just love the person Voldemort became. You know what? Voldemort's a little bit more extreme than them, for sure. Um, But, like, think about it. Salazar Slytherin was extreme enough to create this chamber and everything. So, you know, and Voldemort's extreme enough to follow up with it and just do more, becoming like a really feared wizard. Like he said, a name that wizards everywhere would one day fear to speak, which is what he did. Like, you know, so yeah. So anyways, back to Voldemort's parents, right? So Voldemort right now, he tells Harry that his dad abandoned him before, even before he was born because he, just because he found out his wife was a witch. So Voldemort's dad, Tom, I'm going to refer to him as Tom. So it's, I'm not saying two Toms because that's confusing. So Voldemort's dad, Tom, and Voldemort's mom, Merope. I say Merope. Some people say Merope. I just like Merope better. So I'm just going to say that. So Tom did not love Merope. Merope got the pure blood witch. She was like, she was described as like ugly, like not cute, you know, weird family, all that. And Tom she she loved tom she really had like a big crush on him she loved him whatever it was right she gave him a love potion so he was basically under her spell for a while right long enough for them to get married long enough for them to conceive voldemort so yes he did abandon them because he felt like he was brainwashed which he was you know, like Merope gone and she released Tom from like the spell, the potion or whatever, because she thought that maybe now he would grow to love her. You know, he came out from under the spell and everything. And he felt like, how could I have done this? How, how could I have married this, this girl? Like he was, had no connection, no fe- no positive feelings for her whatsoever. And she loved him so much that she, I guess you can say she let him go, you know, whatever. But Basically, he was under the influence of magic to be to marry Merope and to have a child with her. So, yeah, he abandoned her because he never wanted anything to do with her in the first place. And yeah, it sounds harsh, but also what's worse is to have someone under a spell like this. Like, that's why it's really crazy that love potions aren't one of the, like, more dangerous things. Like, we have the three unforgivable curses, right? I think that Obliviate, the... um spell to make you lose your memory like exactly what Lockhart tried to do to Harry and Ron in this chapter that should be one of those unforgivable curses it's not it's not a curse it's a charm per se but it should be up there with that right same with these love potions like these people have no control whatsoever over what they are doing and saying and acting towards someone and they might not want anything to do with them like in this case so it's pretty synonymous like it's you know you're raping that person which is what I would say Merope did to Tom, to Voldemort's dad. So, yeah. I don't think Voldemort has the full um, understanding of it. And if he does, he just doesn't care. You know, in his eyes, it's kind of like, you're a muggle, you're disgusting. But also, like, the audacity of you to want to leave a witch, you know? And he does not, Voldemort does not have compassion. He really, like, could not care less if his about his parents and what happened to them. But the fact that his dad was a muggle is what really just grinds his gears. And because it makes him a half-blood, right? It makes him a half-blood. And 
also like his mom like he comes from the Zalazar Slytherin himself like that's a big deal so the fact that he's so pure blood on one side and the other side is like muggles it just like disgusts Voldemort and that's what really like just gets him right so yep that's just like kind of a shortish way to like explain his parents right um, a lot more of that will be coming that Harry actually learns this information in the sixth book but you know like I do with this podcast I just connect everything so it says that Harry's brain seemed to have jammed. He's just kind of like staring at Riddle and it's, he's just like him. He was an orphan, an orphan boy, but this orphan boy grew up to kill Harry's parents and to try to kill him. And he killed so many other people, right? But Harry's the one he's just, he was after, wanted to kill him. So he just finally, he like forces himself to speak and he says, you're not with like a voice full of hatred. And then Riddle snaps, not what? And Harry says that you're not the greatest sorcerer in the world because that's Dumbledore. And it's funny because he says, sorry to disappoint you and all that. Because <laughs> it's true. Sorry, you're disappointed. But, you know, it's Vold- or it's Dumbledore. It's not Voldemort. You wish it was you. So, and that's the only one he, like, he ever feared, right? So, and Harry backs it up with some facts. You know, he doesn't just say it. He has some facts to back it up. He says that even when um, Voldemort was strong, he didn't even dare take over Hogwarts because guess who was there? Dumbledore. And guess who saw right through you while you were attending Hogwarts? Dumbledore, right? And so Riddle, he's no longer smiling. His face, has, it's been replaced by a very ugly look, that smile. And then he tells him, Voldemort tells Harry, Dumbledore has been driven out of this castle by the mere memory of me. Again, like, oh my gosh, I could really just picture the movie because it's just done that well. I know I said that like 17 times, but it, it just blows me away every time because I just, that's just ingrained in my mind. But Harry's just kind of trying to talk, you know, kind of trying to scare Riddle. You know, he says that Dumbledore's not as gone as you think. He's really just saying words at this point. You know, he's kind of, he's trying to scare Riddle. He's trying to, he wants to believe it's true, but it, he's not really feeling it. And so Riddle's about to say something, but then they he freezes because there's music. It's coming from somewhere, but it's an empty chamber. And the music starts to grow louder, and it's described as eerie, spine-tingling, and unearthly. And so it just kind of crescendos and then reaches a high pitch. And um, the, so suddenly the, the pillar, like nearest pillar to them, erupts into flames. And it's a crimson bird the size of a swan. It's, it says it's piping its weird music to the vaulted ceiling. So this is Fox. Remember the little bird that was dying, that died in Dumbledore's office and a reborn from the ashes? This is Dumbledore's pet phoenix, Fox. And so Harry just cannot believe because he looked so different from the last time that he saw, from the last time they saw each other, you know, mostly Harry was looking at him because Fox was dying. And he perches himself onto Harry's shoulder. And Riddle, you know, he's just like, oh, that's the old school sorting hat. He's kind of like, okay, this is funny. And he starts laughing because it's just hilarious to him that a sort the sorting hat is here. Like, what is that going to do? And he is just laughing so hard. And it just echoes throughout the chamber. So imagine how scary that is. Just, it sounds like 10 riddles echoing. That's, that's scary. And again, movie, so great. This is what Dumbledore sends his defender, a songbird and an old hat. And he asks Harry, like, do you feel brave? Do you feel safe now? And, you know, Harry doesn't really see the use for Fox or the sorting hat yet, but at least he's not alone, right? And he realizes that, like, 
you know, his courage is kind of, he's getting a little bit more confident, a little bit more brave here. He's not feeling so lonely and scared, you know? Um, and, you know, Riddle says to Harry, like, twice in your past and in my future, we've met, and twice I failed to kill you. How did you survive? I want to know. And the longer you talk, the longer you stay alive. So that would, that would get me talking, right? So... As Harry, you know, he's thinking fast, trying to weigh his chances. Like, what do I have to do? I mean, Fox and the sorting hat. Like, can I use either of them, like, in a duel? It looks pretty bad, you know? But also, the more time that passes, the more solid Riddle's outline looks. And that means the more life that is coming out of Jenny. So this is serious, right? Um, He knows that if he has to, he's going to have to fight Riddle here, Voldemort. It's going to have to be sooner rather than later because... You don't want to do when he's like a solid person, right? And you know, this is bad because if Riddle becomes solid, that's Voldemort and Voldemort will return very much alive. Again, really great in the movie, but he says that. And you know, it's kind of weird to think about. I'm like, well, would he be this 16 year old handsome Tom Riddle Voldemort? I'm sure. But then also it's like gathering the followers and everything. Like, I'm sure he might have to maybe rediscover some things, but also there's some followers that might come to him right away even though that didn't happen in the fourth book when he does come back for real but just need to think about like how that would have played out like that would be really cool so harry decides you know i better say some stuff talk and he says that like nobody knows why you lost your powers that day um i don't even know myself i i know why you couldn't kill me it's because my mother died to save me and then he adds my common muggle-born mother yeah that's right my muggle-born mother is the one who helped me defeat you because she died you did too he didn't fully die but he went away he got lost his powers right so because of a muggle muggle muggle-born witch that's what happened so yeah take that because he was you know harping on muggle-borns and muggles right and, you know, Harry has so much rage built up because he's like, that's my mom and she died to protect me all because of you, because you suck, because it's Voldemort. And even Harry doesn't know exactly why he wanted to kill him either. He's going to find out like in a few years, but, you know, it's there's still some mystery surrounding this. But regardless, it makes Harry very mad because those are his parents, right? And um, he says, like, you know, my my mom stopped you from killing me and he tells him, that you're barely alive like i saw you last year you're a mess you're a wreck like you're barely alive um that's where all that power you got that you say you have that's where it got you you're in hiding and he's just you know saying this stuff to him and so riddle realizes like okay so your mother died to save you that's a powerful counter charm and now he's like so that means that there's nothing special about you actually like not you specifically and he's like telling him too, again, like these similarities that Harry notices, Voldemort's notice, noticing them too. Um, he says there's a strange likeness and he says like, you must have noticed. So they're both orphans, right? They're both half-bloods, both raised by muggles and probably the only two parcel mouths to come to Hogwarts since the great Slytherin himself. It's true. It really is true. Like these are some big similarities. It's not just coincidences right like i mean i guess it's coincidences but like it's it's some big ones it's not just little things like these it's not just little details like oh we both um are were raised in surrey or london no no it's it's a lot of that stuff and he also mentions that they even look sort of alike jet black hair you know what i mean like there's some similarities here so 
Um, you know, that's all he wanted to know. There was nothing else, you know, that was what he wanted to know how Harry survived that night. Nothing else to do. There's not much else to Harry to say. Like there isn't much else that Harry can say is what I mean, is what I meant to say. Not much he can do to salt, to stall, right? So he tells Harry, let's match the powers of Lord Voldemort, heir of Salazar Slytherin against famous Harry Potter. Again, movie line is great perfectly delivered. So he begins to speak in a parcel mouth. Well, he kind of like walks past Fox and the sorting hat and has like an amused look on his face. Cause he's like, Oh yeah. How is Harry going to survive this with these so-called weapons? Right. And he's going to do a lot enough. Right. Cause this, the sword of Gryffindor is going to come out of the sorting hat because only it would only present itself to a true Gryffindor. Also, before I get into like this big, reveal of the basilisk coming out. I do want to mention um, that I forgot to say earlier, but it's in my notes that Harry's mother dying to save him, the powerful counter charm. And Voldemort recognizes, oh yes, that is a powerful counter charm, giving your life to save someone else. And Harry's mom did that to save him. And Harry does this exact thing to save everyone in Deathly Hollow. So this is five years later, Harry's going to do this exact same thing. He goes to the Forbidden Forest to die. He knows he has to die. And he, because he's a horcrux, you know, and he goes to Forbidden Forest for, so Voldemort can kill him because only one, neither can live while the other survives. That's part of the prophecy. And only one of them can kill the other, right? So this is like really so cool because I absolutely love that Harry does the same thing his mom does. He goes and he dies so that and he doesn't really necessarily realize it at first, but him going to sacrifice himself saved everyone else. Because after when he comes back and he's still alive, you know, and he goes to, you know, he's carried by Hagrid back into Hogwarts and Voldemort saying that he's dead, but he's actually not. It's so big because... When the final battle resumes, when it's like Harry versus Voldemort and everything again, none of Harry's side is dying. None of the people from Hogwarts that are on Harry's side are dying or anything, right? And there's some, some heavy magic going on. But Death Eaters are dying. Death Eaters are getting injured. Harry didn't die for the Death Eaters because they're not on his side. They're not the good ones. Harry died for his friends and everybody else from Hogwarts, right? So that is what is so big like that is what is so important to this whole series just these themes of like sacrificing yourself for others and you know like it's those two times you know I guess Dumbledore he also does die to like sacrifice himself for the greater good but it's different he's you know it he others survive because he did die but it's really big in regards to Harry's mom doing it for him and then Harry doing it years later for everybody else. So Voldemort goes over to that big statue with Salazar Slytherin and he starts speaking a parcel mouth and Harry, of course, understands what he's saying. He says, speak to me, Slytherin, greatest of the Hogwarts four. And then the face of the gigantic Slytherin statue is moving, the mouth opens and it's a big, huge hole. And something's like moving, slithering up from its depths. And it ends up being a huge, huge, 
huge basilisk, big snake, right? And so he feels a fox like take flight <laughs> off his shoulder. And Harry wants to shout like, don't leave me. But he even thinks like, what chance does a phoenix have against the king of the serpents? And, you know, and Harry can even like sense it before he even sees that huge basilisk coming out from the from Slytherin's mouth from that statue. And in Parcelmouth, Riddle says, kill him. So Harry knows he can look at it, right? So he, he can hear it, though, because if he looks in the eyes, he'll die, right? So he's running, trying to run, like, blindly, blindly sideways, arms outstretched, you know? And, of course, he trips. There always has to be somebody who trips. It always happens. Someone falls over, trips on something when... The creature, the evil person is tracing, like it always happens, always, always happens. So it happened this time too. Harry trips and he even um, tastes blood, you know, so he must have bit his tongue or whatever. And something hits Harry so hard that he crashes into a wall and he opens his eyes very slightly to see what's going on. And he sees that something distracted the snake and it's Fox. And dark blood is spatter splattering the floor. And Fox punctures its huge yellow eyes. And the whole time Fox is like gouging its eyes and everything, you know, thrashing, swaying, circling it, ruining its eyes so that it can no longer use them to kill Harry. He can still kill Harry in other ways, but it's a little bit harder now because he can't see him. He can't just give him a look and have Harry's eyes look at him at the same time, right? So it can still kill him, but it, it is a little less dangerous. Um, I mean, it's still super dangerous. I don't want to say it's less dangerous, but he, the, the eye option is no longer an option to kill, right? So this is really great, really nice, really cool fox to do this. And it's helping Harry out for sure. And Riddle screams because, like, you know, he's mad and he screams at the basilisk to leave the bird alone and to kill the boy who's behind you. The whole time, the basilisk is, like, swaying and thrashing in pain it's an it's spitting in agony is how it's described. Um, and Riddle tells him like just smell him. The boy's behind you. Worry about him. Leave the bird alone, right? And Harry, you know, it's and of course this whole time too, Fox is still, you know, that eerie song is still going on, right? And so he Harry just says, "Help me, help me, someone, like anyone, please help me." That's what he's thinking because this is hard. Like he doesn't know what to do, right? And so. The basilisk, its tail, it kind of swept the sorting hat near Harry, like into his arms. So Harry takes it. It's literally the only thing he has left. It's his only chance. So he just throws it on his head and um, he throws himself like flat onto the floor because the basilisk's, basilisk's tail is swinging over him again. So, you know, nothing is helping. Like he, the sorting hat isn't speaking to him. And so suddenly it's like it's almost like the hat it contracts and like an invisible hand is like as like an invisible hand is like squeezing it very tightly right so then something like hard and heavy thuds onto harry's head almost knocking him out he's seeing stars and he grabs the top of the hat out and um or the hat off of his head and he pulls something and it's a gleaming silver sword with glittering rubies the size of eggs and this is the sword of gryffindor who will only present itself to a worthy Gryffindor. This happens to Harry more than once. <laughs> now, the first time, and then again in Deathly Hollows. And also presents itself to, to Neville, another worthy Gryffindor. So really cool. And 
Now Harry almost maybe has a chance because he has this weapon now. So Fox and the Sorting Hat did help him indeed. So the Basilisk is now sort of lunging at Harry, but blindly, of course, because Fox messed up its eyes. Keeps lunging. Harry has the sword in both hands. He's kind of swinging, dodging the snake all while he's swinging the sword. Um, and, you know, this part in the movie, if you think about the movie, this part is kind of drawn out in, this, in the book. It's so quick. Like, it doesn't take very long. Um, Harry, you know, throws his whole weight behind the sword and aims it, like, into the roof of the serpent's mouth. And it works, but... It also, you know, causes a poisonous fang from the basilisk to sink into Harry's arm. And it's searing pain, just blood pouring out. It's, it's bad. And basilisk's venom kills very quickly. So Harry is like dying almost right away as soon as it gets into his arm, as soon as the fang is in his arm. White hot pain from the wounds, like it's spreading throughout his body. His vision's going foggy. It's pretty rough, right? And of course, Riddle's not happy that his basilisk is dead, but Harry's about to die too. So also side note, this, it would have killed Harry the Horcrux, like the Horcrux and Harry, if this were, if Fox doesn't save him. Um, Fox is going to save him like in this chapter, but I'm just saying like, if Fox hadn't have saved him, it would have killed the Horcrux inside Harry. And that was confirmed by JK Rowling herself. So Harry, you know, he... Fox lands near him and he says that, Fox, you're fantastic. And then Riddle's voice just says, you're dead, Harry Potter. That's what he tells him. You are dead, Harry Potter. Um, dead. Like, that's what he says. You're dead, Harry Potter. Dead. And he says that Dumbledore's bird even knows it because the Fox is crying. But what he doesn't know, Voldemort, or what he forgets or whatever, is that Phoenix tears have healing powers and they work quick. So... Fox is crying because he's saving Harry. So, you know, and then <laughs> Voldemort tells him, like, I'm just going to sit here and watch you die, Harry Potter. Take your time. I'm not in a rush. And joke's on you because he's not going to die. But your, your Horcrux form is. This diary is. So Riddle, you know, he says that here, so ends the famous Harry Potter, alone in the Chamber of Secrets. His friends are, have forsaken him because no one's like come to help him, right? Um, and he says that defeated by the Dark Lord, that he so unwisely challenged. Like, he didn't really challenge you right now at this point. Like, just because you failed to kill him years ago doesn't mean that he unwisely challenged you. Like, he came into this chamber to save Jenny. He didn't know that he was going to see you. He killed your basilisk. Like, he's, ugh, Tom Riddle right now, Voldemort is just being, like, just being weird, right? So Fox flies away, but he comes back. And, um, you know, as Fox flies away, he realizes, like, Harry realizes, like, if this is dying, it's not so bad, you know, because he's starting to feel better. The pain is leaving him. But, like, the chamber is coming back into focus, and it's because he's healed. Fox ended up healing Harry, right? So that's, like, <laughs> that's what makes Voldemort mad right now, too, because he thought Harry was going to die. And then Harry doesn't die because Fox saves him. And again, the Horcrux and Harry would have died. And so, yep, so Riddle did forget that healing, um, the healing properties of Phoenix Tears, and so he raises his wand, but, you know, presumably to kill Harry, of course. He says he prefers this, just you and me, Harry. But 
Fox um, drops the diary into Harry's lap. And so just for a split second, um, Harry and Riddle just both look at it. And without thinking and without really having any reasoning as to why he does this, he takes the basilisk fang that he took out of his arm and put on the floor next to him. He raises that fang and plunges it straight into the book. And there's a long piercing scream and ink is like, like spurting out of the diary. And you know, it's, just the drip drip of ink that's oozing and the basilisk venom burns a sizzling hole right through it. And Harry gets up, like he's shaking, his head is spinning and everything. And it destroys Tom Riddle, the memory of him. So this, this twisting, flailing, screaming form that was almost solid of Tom Riddle is now like gone. And it's because Harry destroyed this Horcrux form of him. And this is the first Horcrux destroyed is this diary really cool that this is happening because this is huge this becomes like just like one of the hugest parts of the seventh book of defeating Voldemort you can't defeat him without like without killing these horcruxes so this is part of Voldemort's soul that has now been destroyed and you know it's bad for Voldemort you know there's still six more to go one horcrux down six to go but it's the basilisk venom that is what destroys horcruxes and basilisk fang is used later on to destroy another horcrux which was hidden in helga hufflepuff's cup so really cool that this is happening this is the first horcrux to be destroyed and the word horcrux isn't mentioned but it's just so important because this is like the seventh book this is what needs to be done these horcruxes need to be found and destroyed and Harry accidentally comes across one and he kind of accidentally destroys it. He just doesn't really think about it. He just grabs the fang and punctures it into the diary and it works. It's great. Good job for Harry. So with that memory of Tom Riddle now being destroyed, now the life goes back into Jenny and she wakes up. Um, she sees Harry. She sees the blood on his robe. She sees the diary in his hand and she starts crying. And she says that she tried to tell him at breakfast, but she couldn't say it with Percy right there. Remember how she was about to say, reveal something, you know, to Harry and Ron, but Percy got there and she couldn't say it. She said that she really didn't mean to, but Riddle made her and he took over. She's like, wait, how did you kill that thing? Cause she knew it was like, it wasn't just the diary. She knew it was something deeper, right? Um, she's asking where he was, where he is, where Riddle went. And she says the last thing that she could remember is him coming out of the diary. So she saw him like coming out, right? And that's probably when she, you know, lost consciousness and everything because he was taking that life out of her. And so Harry tells him, like, it's okay, Riddle's finished. Look, him and the basilisk, and he, like, you know, there's the basilisk dead over there that I killed and everything. And Jenny just has really cried, and um, she's, like, saying that she's going to be expelled and that she's been looking forward to come to Hogwarts ever since Bill came. That's her oldest brother, right, the oldest Weasley boy. And, you know, she's saying, like, what are mom and dad going to say? And Fox is there. He's waiting for them. You know, he's at the chamber entrance. So Harry, like, makes Jenny kind of helps her up, get up and moves her forward. They step over the bas the dead basilisk and everything. Um, and then through, like, the tunnel, they go back, right? And so it's a few minutes progress through the, like, dark tunnel after the walking for a few minutes. And then they hear the sound of, like, rock shifting. And Harry knows that's Ron, because remember Ron was, that was his job. Like once they got separated, he was going to shift the rocks. And he's like, Jenny's okay. I've got her, Ron. Like we're good. Ron's all happy. 
Um, and they see him through like this big, he made a pretty good gap in the like rock fall in that wall. And Ron like pushes, pushes an arm through the gap in like that rock wall that he made. Um, and he says like, you're alive. I don't believe it. And he's asking what happened. He's asking where the bird came from. And Harry explains that he's Dumbledore's. And then Ron notices like the magnificent sword that Harry's holding. And Ron's like, where'd you get that? And Harry's like, I got a lot to explain, but like, let's get out of here first, you know? Um, Cause Jenny's like crying, like even harder than before. Um, and he doesn't think that it's a good idea to tell Ron who opened the chamber, not in front of the one who did it, Jenny, you know? Um, and so he asks where Lockhart is and Ron says that he's in bad shape. He's, he's like bad back here. Like, let's come and see. So Fox is leading them throughout he, he, his wings leave off like a nice little glow that they can follow. And so Ron explains that his memory's gone. That memory charm like really backfired because, you know, but it's good. That's what he deserves. That's karma. This is karma doing its job because of what Lockhart did to all those other witches and wizards, you know? So not a great end for Lockhart, but you know, it's well-deserved, honestly. So, um, you know, he's, he's saying like, oh, hello, what sort, odd sort of place do you live here? You know, it's just weird, right? And so they look up at that long, dark pipe, you know how they like kind of slide down here and they're like, how are we gonna get back up this? But Fox, you know, he is swoop, swooping like in midair, like kind of like in front of them. And he waves his like long golden tail feathers. And Ron's saying, it looks like he wants you to grab hold, but I think you're too heavy, especially like all of us. Like that's gonna be too heavy for him. And Harry says that Fox is no ordinary bird. Let's just hold on to each other and he'll fly us out of here. And that's what he does. And he, his, his tail feathers are like warm. So, and it's like, um, it's Fox is strong. Like it's almost like they're super light to him, right? So big rush of wings and they go upward through the pipe and Lockhart is saying, amazing. This is just like magic. And he doesn't, it's interesting because he probably doesn't know magic is real at all. His memory is totally gone, including memories of magic. Maybe he does know about magic. Maybe he does know he's a wizard, you know, it's himself. It's hard to explain. Like he has no memory, right? But that doesn't mean he doesn't know that certain things don't exist. Like he, that's why him saying it's just like magic is interesting. It makes me think that his whole memory of magic was gone too. He can still speak. He still knows what some things are, but he doesn't know who anybody is, including himself. So the fact that he says it's just like magic is really interesting to me. It's like, wow, you forgot about magic too. And also like, it's, I think I should mention right now, they see Lockhart again in the fifth book. So they see him three years after this, um, about three years, you know, it's not exactly, but they see him in Order of the Phoenix in the fifth book. And he's in St. Mungo's, the hospital for magical maladies. And he is just there like permanently. So, um, his memory never gets better. He's just, his memory charm backfired so badly with Ron's wand that was just so messed up that it completely permanently damaged his brain magically. So it's pretty bad, but you know what? Karma. So Fox flying them up through the pipe back where they came from is the girl's bathroom, of course, and Myrtle's there. She's saying like, I was just thinking if you had died, she's shocked. She was shocked that they're alive. And she was saying, you know, if you had died, I would, you'd have been welcome to share my toilet, talking to Harry, cause you know, 
she's weird like that. And Ron, you know, they leave the bathroom and Ron says that like, Harry, I think Myrtle's grown fond of you. And he makes a joke and he says, you've got competition, Jenny. And you know, it's not the time, (laughs) not the time to make this joke. Jenny is still crying, you know, she's not like sobbing, gasping for air, but she has tears just flooding down her face. You know, she's still crying. She's still upset. She's still traumatized, all these things. Right. And I think Ron, he's just trying to be, it's just like his brotherly way of trying to make her feel, you know, trying to give her some comfort, but he also doesn't know what Harry knows right now. You know, he doesn't know that she opened the chamber. He doesn't know that she was behind everything. Like he doesn't know that. I mean, He's about to find out that it wasn't her fault. It was all Voldemort. And she was just like his vessel, his means of doing so. But, you know, you got to give Ron some slack here. He doesn't know what Harry knows, what Harry just found out. And he's just trying to be like, I think he's just trying to be a little bit lighthearted, you know, make like a little joke and everything. And, you know, he doesn't know what Harry knows. Again, that's important to remember. But also, Jenny, like looking back on this, like you know, for the next few months and even maybe like a few years until her and Harry start dating or whatever it might be like that time frame. But for a while, she's going to look back on this and be like, wow, Ron really said that because Ron's about to find out like what happened, the full story of Voldemort and how Jenny was behind the attacks and everything. But Jenny also knows that Ron knows that she has a crush on Harry. You know, the Weasleys know that, especially the brothers. And Harry knows that because Jenny would act weird around him and awkward. Um, And, you know, the brothers said that she liked him. So think about Jenny right now. She just went through this traumatizing thing. She thinks she's about to be expelled and she's going to be in so much trouble and she feels terrible. And also this boy that she has a crush on, found her in that position and now knows she admitted like what happened. He says like, he knows like, it's okay. We're, we're fine. We're safe now. But also Ron knows that she has a crush on Harry. And the fact that he said this to Jenny in front of Harry after she had just been almost killed, traumatized, all these things. Again, he doesn't know the full extent of it, but like really Ron, you, you, that was not cool to make a joke about having like, you got some competition, Jenny about moaning Myrtle because Jenny has a crush on Harry after she just came out of the chamber of secrets and had this traumatizing experience like Ron, not the time. And I know afterward he's going to feel even worse and he's going to be mad that his sister was like taken advantage of like this by Voldemort. But also like, he's probably gonna be like, Ooh, yeah, that was not a good time to say got some competition, Jenny. Like, no, again, He doesn't know the full extent, but this was not the best joke to make at that time. And again, I think he was just trying to kind of like, you know, give her some familiarity maybe, you know, but not, not the best thing to say, honestly, Ron. So they're kind of like, okay, Ron's like, where do we go now? And Fox leads the way like into the corridor and they, you know, they, they walk after him and Fox leads them to McGonagall's office. Harry knocks and pushes the door open. And that's where the chapter ends. Oh my gosh. So many reasons I love this chapter, but also it's called The Heir of Slytherin. And this podcast, of course, is The Heiress of Slytherin. So it's I. It's just so fun to be able to do this podcast and have that be my podcast name and have this book have so many of those name drops of The Heir of Slytherin. It's always exciting when 
the chapter title is the title of the book. So we had the Chamber of Secrets for our last chapter, and then this chapter was Air Slytherin. So I've mentioned that before, I know that, but I just love it. I think it's so fun and it's so cool. So yeah, what a great chapter. I mean, and this is the second to last chapter. So next episode is going to be talking about chapter 18, Dobby's Reward. And that's the last chapter of this book. And then I'm going to do an episode about the Chamber of Secrets book and movie, you know, compare and contrast episode. And then we're right into Prisoner of Azkaban. And I am so excited for that one. I have one more chapter of notes to do. So I'm almost done with all those notes for that. And then it's just about recording them. So again, I cannot say enough good things about this book and how rereading it this time. I mean, I've always loved Chamber of Secrets. Like I say, I love all the books so much, but I don't know. I've just found a really fun new appreciation for Chamber of Secrets that I don't think I had before. So I'm excited. And each time I record these episodes, I'm like, wow, I'm reminded how much I really like this and how cool this book was. So again, make sure you guys read chapter 18 for next week's episode. It's Dobby's Reward. That's chapter 18 of Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets. So, so excited for that one. And of course, you guys can email me at the Podcast at gmail.com. You can donate or leave messages, like voice messages on the anchor link. My Twitter page is at SlytherinPod. Facebook page is the Airsa Slytherin Podcast. And this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, and Pocket Casts. And just to make sure you guys read Chapter 18 for next week's episode. Thank you for listening to the Heirs of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Mika Ella, your host. Bye.